Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Well, look at somebody next to you and say, boy, you look good for the shape that you're in. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Who's the happiest person in church today? Amen. So good to see you. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to open up our Bibles this morning. How many got room for a little bit of the word left in you today? Wasn't that amazing this morning, those, I don't know, eight or nine people that got baptized? Isn't that awesome? We just celebrate, rejoice with that. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And as Pastor Carlos already did, we just welcome those that are visiting. Maybe this is your first time as a guest or a long time at New Harvest Church. We're so glad that you're here today. And we trust that somehow throughout the course of this service, if it hadn't already happened, that you have connected with the Lord on some level. We believe, we believe in God's presence. I believe there's some things that we can do, but there's a whole lot of things that the Holy Ghost can do. Amen. So we just trust that God's presence comes and he makes things applicable to our life and our journey with him. Also, those that are listening by radio, WAFC 100.5, we welcome those guys. And all those that are literally around the world that watch us by Facebook Live, we welcome them as well, all the way around the world. So thank God for all those that are tuned in. Well, you got room for you just a little bit, just a little bit of the word today, just a little bit. Go with me, if you would, please, to Genesis, Genesis chapter 6. Genesis, while you're turning there, it's good to see um, my good friend Arnold Moore here today. We buried his brother last Friday. He's in service today with his family and Valerie Christina is there. Adrian, God bless you guys. We just bless the more family. Amen. We believe that God's bringing healing to that family. Amen. Hallelujah. We thank God for it. Genesis chapter 6. Um, this is a, I don't know, I don't know how to even put this together. Most of you know I don't really struggle with preaching. Uh, it's, that's normally not once I get up here I can get started with it. But I felt like God had spoken to me couple days ago in prayer and I was just praying it through and then uh, really most of the day yesterday it just kept coming alive on the inside of me and I feel like it's a, a theme that we're going to develop and so I'm going to just try to get it started today uh, I believe I believe it's a word for this hour hallelujah how many of you just know that uh, we continue to pray for our nation Continue to believe God that our nation, our nation is on, on, on the verge, in case you don't know it, our nation is on the verge of revival. Y'all know that, right? It's on the verge of a great awakening. I know there's a lot of uh, prophets of Baal out there and the news media and what they do and all the negativity and, and really lies that they portray. Just flat out lies. They'll lie to you right there, right there in your house. You sitting there watching it, and they will lie to you, not even blink an eye. Uh, sadly enough, most of America believes it. That's 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 the sad part about it. But I believe the church has the answer. And so I, I know our, I know we're in a battle for our nation. I know we're battling for the soul of our nation, for the welfare of humanity. We're battling for the for the right things to be pushed through. I, this, this isn't no secret. We don't, I'm not here to preach about this today, but, but when you have widespread, documented voter fraud, that takes away our democracy, not only for this election, but for elections to come. And, and so there has to be 
a body, a remnant of people that knows how to stand. The world don't know how to stand in the gap, but the church does. We've been standing in the gap since the dawn of time. And so it's the church, and God has always used a remnant. So we just continue to pray over our nation and believe God for the turning of events that will be according to his plan, his purposes. Amen? So Genesis chapter 6, I'm going to try to work this out today. Genesis chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading in uh, verse number 5. And then I'm going to read a little bit, so just stay with me. I'm going to skip around a little bit. And uh, most of it will be on the screen for you if you just want to follow along. Genesis chapter 6, verse number 5. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that, the, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Well, you know, it's got to get pretty bad when God gets grieved. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land and from the animals to the creeping things and the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. One translation says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And these are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah, watch this now, was a righteous man, blameless in his time. And Noah walked with God. And Noah became the father of three sons, Mo, Larry, and Curly. <laughs> I, when I read the Bible, I just, I don't know what it is. I, I think of things sometimes when I read the Bible. And every time I read Shem, Ham, and Japheth, I think of Mo, Larry, and Curly. I know. I, it's amazing that God even does things through me. So just pray for me. Verse number 11. And now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God. And the earth was filled with violence, the same word for lawlessness. The earth was filled with lawlessness. And God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, the end of the flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence, and because of them I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood, and you shall make the ark with rooms, and it shall cover it inside and out with pitch. And this is how you shall make it, or this is how you shall build it, one translation says. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. In other words, it's going to be about 450 feet long, about 75 feet wide, and nearly 45 feet tall. That's how big it's going to be. Look with me in verse number 17. And behold, I am bringing flood, the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wives and your sons' wives with you. Whatever Noah built or what Noah built, it became the salvation for his family. What you build in this life determines what the legacy of your life is going to look like. Noah built something that outlasted him, that became the Savior, the salvation, 
that became the deliverance to his family. Remember that old movie said, if you build it, they'll come? Huh? Build a dreams or whatever it was. How I many you know if you'll build the right kind of environment, people will come? If you build it. I believe if the church right here in Sugartown, right here in the Glades region, I believe if we can build the right environment, people are going to come because there's going to be safety in the house. There's going to be safety in the ark. Now, now, run over here with me while you're right there. Go with me to uh, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. Try to make a little bit of sense of this. Hebrews 11, verse, verse number 3. Just a few scriptures here. Verse number 3. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things or was not made out of things which are Invisible. We understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. Look with me in verse number 6. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Verse number 7. And by faith, Noah, being warned by God, about things not yet seen, in reverence to God, he prepared. Another translation says, he built an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. No, notice verse number seven at the beginning. Noah was warned by God, and he, and he prepared something. He prepared something. He was able to see something coming, and he prepared something now. He saw the future coming, but he made preparation now. He began to work on it now. This, this, is, this is the concept that came up in my prayer just a couple of days ago, and I was just telling Pastor Porter in the green room that it's, it's, it's just a concept. I, I may have heard it before. I just don't remember maybe where I heard it, but it's a concept that God just reminded me of, and this is what I want to talk to you about today. History belongs to the awakened. History belongs to the awakened. Just push on somebody next to you and tell them, I don't know if you know it or not, but you're standing next to a history maker. You're just standing next to a history maker. I don't know. Why don't you just push on somebody that you don't really know if you really like them yet or not and just say, I want you to know you're standing next to a history maker. You're really standing next to a history maker, somebody that God's going to use in this generation. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for what you're going to do. Lord, I give you praise and honor and glory. Holy Spirit, you're the preacher. You're the teacher. You're the revelator. You're the communicator. You're the voice. You're the voice of truth today. Every other voice is a lie. You're the voice of truth. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do in this place. Thank you for what you're going to do in this house. And thank you for what you're going to do in the hearts of men and women that have gathered in this place. And, Lord, we give you all the praise and the glory right here, up front, right now. And we thank you in advance for all the things that you're going to accomplish today in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. And everybody together said amen. Amen and amen. God bless you this morning. You can be seated. In our text, we, we see where Noah finds himself living in some very dark 
and uh, some very difficult days. Uh, the entire earth had become full of sin. The entire earth had become full of evil, and there was widespread corruption all over the earth. Sounds like the 21st century earth that we're living in, doesn't it? Uh, the culture had become godless, and evil had become so rampant and so bad and so prevalent that, that God began to put an expiration date on the earth's time. God began to mark his calendar that it's not always going to be like this on the planet that I created. The heart, the Bible says, the heart and the imagination of mankind had become so wicked that there was no good to be found anywhere in the earth. That's pretty bad. When you can't find good nowhere on the earth, that's a pretty bad day. That's a pretty bad culture. That's a pretty bad situation. But in the midst of that, where there was no good, in the midst where there was evil that was running rampant and widespread corruption, the Bible says that Noah found favor in the eyes of God. He was living in a culture that had totally pushed God out. He was living in a generation now that has totally abandoned the moral responsibilities of life. He was living in a culture that had totally eradicated God from their existence. He was living in a culture that was so full of evil that everything had become degraded to such a point that God was tired of it. But in the midst of all of that, Noah found favor. <laughs> and the Bible says, and Noah was found to be, this is going to help somebody, in the midst of the darkest days on this planet, in the midst of the darkest circumstances that mankind could ever live in, Noah was a righteous man. Noah was a blameless man in his generation. And the Bible says Noah began to walk with God. The understanding is, in our day, it's possible to be surrounded by evil. It's possible to live in a culture that's full of sin and darkness and corruption, while at the same time, God can have a people that's walking in righteousness. God can have a people that's walking with blame, without blame. And God can have a people that's going to keep pursuing him even in the midst of the darkness. And Noah now is living in a time where the whole, no, nowhere in the world was the world receiving grace from God. God was tired of it. But Noah found grace. Noah found grace when the whole world quit receiving grace. When, when you live, the Bible says that Noah lived in the eyes of God. One translation says Noah lived in the face of God. You can live a different day when you live in the face of God. Your life can be different when you're living in the eyes of God. And Noah found favor. I just came to prophesy maybe a little bit today. I believe even in a messed up, corrupt, way gone, left God kind of culture that we're living in, I believe there's a remnant that's still attached to the things of God. I believe there's still a people left on this planet that still has their face like a flint, and they have put their face into the wind of God, and they are saying, come hell or high water, come what may, sink or swim, we're going to live a right 
righteous life. We're going to live a blameless life. And we're going to keep steady to the things of God. And we refuse to be moved from our benchmark. Push on somebody and tell them, I follow. I see a history maker up in here somewhere. Come on, tell them. I, and I see it. Because history belongs to the awakened. History belongs to the awakened. You, you, you can position yourself. I'm going to get to where I'm going in a minute. You can position yourself in the face of God and find some favor. I don't care if everybody in your neighborhood has lost their faith. You can position yourself in the face of God and find some favor. I don't care if the whole culture has eradicated God and won't even vote him in no more. There is still a remnant in the earth that can position themselves in the face of God. When God doesn't give grace to nobody else, God will give grace to his people. For 120 years now, this is going on. He was faithful in his walk with God. He said, I'm not always going to strive with man. I'm going to put an expiration date on the earth. I'm going to give them 120 years to make it right. I'm going to give them 120 years to fix it. And Noah was faithful for 120 years. I know people that can't be faithful for 120 seconds. Noah was faithful for 120 years. And you know what he did? He was preaching righteousness while he was building an ark. He was preaching the gospel, the, the, what they knew of the gospel. He was preaching God to the people of his day. He was preaching to his generation for 120 years and got nobody converted. Whew. Now, I've preached for a long time, but I've had a little bit of success. We've had some people get converted. New Harvest Church has been here for 30 years. You just saw the fruits of nine people getting baptized. You just saw that today. That, this ain't makeup. And, just, and just, just as for all those that might be watching by the Internet on the radio, I didn't know there ain't nobody here. But just for everybody who thinks we're in a cult, the devil is a lie. You, don't get, you can't be in a cult and win people to Jesus at the same time. You, 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 can't be, you, can't, you can't love the devil and love God at the same time. The reason why I said that, because somebody brought that up to my attention the other day, and they said, are y'all still a cult? I said, we never was a cult. I said, the fact that you even mention it is sure proof. It's sign that you are dabbling in something you don't need to be messing with. There are wrong voices communicating stuff to your life. For 120 years, he preached righteousness. For 120 years, he said, one day this world's going to end. One day it's coming to an end, and you better get it right. And for 120 years, nobody got it right. That's how wicked the earth was. But Noah found favor. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was faithful to his assignment. He was faithful to his consecration. He was faithful to his devotion. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you have a devoted life? I know you have an internet life. <laughs> I know you have a Netflix life. I know you have a Facebook life. I got three amens. The rest of y'all know y'all lying already. You got a Twitter life, a YouTube life, HBO, ESPN, whatever you like. 
but do you have a devoted life to God? See, if you leave consecration, if you leave dedication, if you leave sanctification, if you leave your devotion, you miss God's presence. And part of the curse that's in this generation is not only have we left something, but we have no desire to go back and get it. And that's part of the curse that's on this generation. We, we have walked away from the very fundamental principles that made, you want to talk about making America great again? You can use whatever slogan you want to, but what made America great was not a person. It was, a, it was, it was founded on the principles of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It was founded on a nation that would love and serve God freely and openly. What makes our, our nation great is because we have a people that know how to call upon the name of the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And you can put whoever you want to in the White House or any house, but what matters is what's going on in your house. Because if you want to make our nation great again, then serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with all of your heart and serve the Lord with a devotion. So, so here we are. I'm trying to get to where I'm going. I, I'm just in a hurry here. So, so you, here you have this, 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 this guy named Noah, and, and, and he's, he, he's got this devotion towards the things of God. Because when you leave prayer, or when you leave the cross, or when you leave the word of God, or when you leave the absolutes of God, we lose a moral compass, and we lose our passion for what God loves. And whatever you left, you got to go back and get. Let me, let me just... I know I'm in a hurry here, but I want to try it. Go with me to Revelation. I'm going to preach in a minute. I'm just trying to get my rhythm here. Revelation chapter number 2. This is when John, the revelator, was writing about the churches, and he was writing to the church at Ephesus. And, and we'll just pick it up in verse number, well, verse number 3 says, And you have perseverance, you've endured for my name's sake. And you've not grown weary. Then he gets into verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. For I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand of its place unless you repent. Notice they didn't lose it. They left it. They didn't lose their love for God. They left it. Mm. When you leave it, it's just a matter of time before you lose the illumination of God's will for your life. They, 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 had, they had correct doctrine. They just didn't have a correct heart. And the remedy to their situation was remember from where you have fallen. Remember where you have missed it and go back to it. You remember when you first got saved, how excited you were about Jesus? Three of us, the rest of y'all, we're going to have an altar call in a minute and everybody can get saved again. Because when you, you, if, you, if you really got saved, that first time you really got saved, something flipped in your heart, something put a motivation in your walk with God, 
And, and when you first got, when you really got saved, now I know some of us, like me, I've been to the altar like a bunch as a teenager. I like, I had to get saved every time they had church because I wasn't ever sure because my mom always told me I was going to go to hell if you don't live right. So I just figured I was going to go to hell because I wasn't living right. And so every time we had church, I had to come and get saved. And then one day it really, I really got saved. <laughs> and I can remember that feeling. I can remember like, man, this is what it's got to be about. And, and when I got saved, now watch it, after I got saved, nobody had to encourage me to come to church. You can tell. You can tell the people that are really saved and those what I call half saved. When, when you have to be coached into coming to church, when you have to be pumped up, when we got to have a church built around you, when, when you... you, you I got three amen. The rest of y'all just like, I'm trying to tell you, you ain't saved if you ain't excited. I'm just trying to tell you. I'm trying to get there somewhere. If you ain't excited, I'm not talking about church. I'm talking about being excited about the things of God. How can you say you love him and you don't even love what he's married to? He's married to his bride. He's married to the church. And there was a day when you first got saved, man, you were on fire. You were lit up with the things of God. Nobody had to talk you into coming to church. Nobody had to talk you into being, to, to worship God and lift your hands in praise. Nobody had to talk you into doing anything that had nothing to, anything to do with God. But what happens is over time, you didn't lose it. You left it. You lost your first love. And this is what God, the, 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 uh, God was saying to the church at Ephesus. He said, listen, I know your deeds. There's a lot of good things that you got going on that's really been good. But the problem that I'm having with you is that you have left what you used to love. And if the church, this is where we're going, if the church fails to repent, if the church doesn't begin to walk in humbleness before the Lord, he said, I'm going to come in and I'm going to remove your lampstand. In other words, I'm going to take my light out. I'm going to remove my light. I'm going to remove my presence from you. I'm going to remove my glory. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to live in that day. Come on, Noah. I don't want to be like that in my day. I want to have the fire burning, blazing power and witness of the Holy Ghost living on the inside of me. Even in the midst of a corrupt world, I still want to burn and blaze for the glory of God. I don't care if everybody on my road won't worship God. I'm still going to worship him. I don't care if nobody in my neighborhood believes in God. I'm still going to give him praise. I don't care if none of my family want to walk and take the journey with me. I'm still going to give God the glory. I'm still going to give God the praise because he's the inspiration of my life. He's the savior of my soul. And besides him, there is no other. He said, he said, you left it, you left it, you left it. First Chronicles 13 tells how David left the Ark of the Covenant at Obed-Edom's house. He had it, but he left it. He left God's presence somewhere else. And for the eight, next 18 months, David never wrote another song, even though he was an avid worship leader. Because when you lose his presence, you lose your song. When you lose his presence, when God is not first, <laughs> when God's not priority, when everything else gets fitted into your life and then you fit God in there. You don't fit God nowhere. He's first. 
He's foremost. He doesn't play second fiddle to nobody. He, you, you can't just put God where you want to and act like God's going to be happy with that. He's got to be first. He's got to be foremost. He's got to be the priority of your life. There ought to be enough hungry people in this place even today that you are so passionate about the things of God that you can pray, you can fast, you can call upon the name of the Lord. There ought to be such a holiness inside of you that when God begins to say, I can do a thing, there ought to be enough remnant right here in Clouston to stand in agreement and defy the powers of hell, defy the works of darkness, and say, we got enough power on the inside of us. I've got enough relationship with God that I can overturn the powers of the enemy that's coming to attack my generation. Get back what you lost, you got to go back to what you left. If you leave something, you lose something. If you leave a company, you lose a paycheck. <laughs> you lose benefits, maybe insurance, I don't know. If you leave good eating habits, over time, you lose your health. Come on, you can't eat Big Macs every day. You'll be a Big Mac. <laughs> when people leave a church, they lose the word. They lose fellowship. They, they lose a community of faith-filled believers. They leave praise. They leave the equipping of the saints. Whatever you leave, you lose. And as a society, let me help me out. And just let me get down this road right here. As a society, if we ain't careful, I ain't talking about the world. I'm talking about the church, okay? We know where the world is. We got to help the church. As a society, we have left morality. We have left modesty. And let's just be honest this morning while we're talking a little bit. We have left the fear of God. We have left our devotion and our consecration towards the things of God. To get back what you lost, you have to go back to what you left. I'm not trying to sound like one of these old-timey preachers, but we no longer have a fear of God. If you leave holiness, you lose godliness. <laughs> if you separate yourself from God, you lose your distinctiveness. And probably what is plaguing me, what came up in my heart was because if we're going to be the, if we're going to be the catalyst, if we're going to be the hinge of history, if we're going to be awakened to what God wants to do, then the church has to be distinct. There's got to be something on the church that doesn't look like the world. That, that, that there's got to be a holiness in our lifestyle that doesn't complete the lifestyle of the world. I, I got, I, during worship there, right when they were ending, I saw that fog machine going off right there. And it just, it just reminded me because in, in most of our modern day churches, if you don't have smoke machines, you know, light machines, skinny jeans, if you don't have all that going on, you, you know, you're not in touch with the reality of the culture that you're trying to reach. 
And I, and I get that. That's why we have all that. I'm not opposed to it. That's why we got it. We got, I don't know, smoke machines, fog machine, whatever you call them. We got smoke. <laughs> not that kind of smoke. We got coming out of machine. We, 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 we got the luxuries. I'm glad today I get to sit in the building that's air conditioned. Living in South Florida, you need some AC. I'm glad for that. I'm glad we get to sit comfortably in some nice padded chairs. But at the end of the day, you can take all that away if I don't get God's presence. You can take everything away if God's not in the building. You can take all the way, you can take every all the props away if God is not moving in my life. Ladies and gentlemen, we got to sell something back to a generation. We got to let a generation know you don't need all that for God. You don't have to have all that for God to move. But you do have to have a sense of holiness. You do have to have a reverence towards the things of God. And and and, and godly fear, Noah moved with God by faith he built a boat he did it out of reverence towards the things of God he wasn't afraid of God he just had a fear of the reverence of the holiness of the awesomeness of God and what we need back into the church in the 21st century is we need a people that know how to stand in the presence of an almighty God and then walk out of his presence move back into a world that is going to hell in a handbasket move back into a world that has no sense of moral compass that depravity has set in and we need to be the salt in the midst of the craziness. We need to be the light in the midst of the craziness and it's going to take a people that are sold out. It's going to take a people that want to become a history maker in their generation. Push on somebody and tell them you're the hinge of history. You're the hinge of history. What you build in your life is going to determine how much your family gets saved. So, so, so we had this going on as, as a society. We left all these things for the past 50 years or so. Most of Christianity has done its best to fit into the American culture because it's lacked power to influence the culture. Pastor Carlos said it a while ago, talking about, I forgot the guy's name, the, the multi-billionaire, the second richest guy on the planet. I, I was just thinking when he was saying all that, just like, you know, because every news agency is corrupt. There's a few good ones out there that, that are trying to just give you the facts. Newsmax, OAN, you know, some of those. They're just trying to, they're trying to hold the line. The rest of them are corrupted because they've been bought. Because they have a price tag. They'll sell you whatever you want me. They'll say whatever you want me to say because I got a price tag on my head. And so we got, we, got, we got all this corruption. So when Pastor Carlos was talking about this guy, I'm thinking, what would it be like if, if a Christian who had a passion for the things of God became like one of the second wealthiest person on the planet? And what if we started our own newscast where, 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 where true, accurate news could be released with a prophetic edge to a generation and begin to prophesy. They don't even know we're prophesying, but you just begin to prophesy. This is what the Lord is doing, and you begin to push it into the fabric of society. What would our nation look like? But for the last 50 years or so, America has watered down the gospel because we got this thing where we don't want to offend nobody. Because every, everybody, everybody wants to be cuddled. Everybody needs a hug. 
I get that. There are times in your life when you need to be hugged. There are times in my life I want to be hugged. Hint, hint, Karen, I want to be hugged. There are times in my life I need it. I just need a hug. That's all. I don't need nothing. I just need a hug. <laughs> I'll pay for that one later. God, Jesus. But you, you can't let, the Bible says, by faith Noah built. He didn't do it because he had it all together. He didn't do it because the world was supporting him. Oh, my Lord, somebody help me. He didn't do it because he had the financial backing of the world. He didn't do it because he had the right newscast telling him what to do. He did it by faith because he saw something in the future that was coming into his now. So he put his foot down. He said, I'm going to believe God. There's enough holiness of God in my life that I'm going to trust him in the midst of the craziness. And by faith, he built a boat. Christianity, this will be on the screen for you. I don't know where I'm at, guys, on the notes. Just work with me. Christianity is prevalent, but it's not powerful. And part of the solution that we need is a spiritual awakening. You can talk to a lot of people, and they'll say, oh, I'm a Christian. Where's the power then? Where's the fruit? I passed a couple people. Lord, I hope they ain't listening to the radio right now. On my way to church this morning, they were working in the yard. What does a Christian look like? Well, when I fell in love with Jesus, I fell in love with him. Yard work is secondary. I know, I just upset, I just offended somebody. Well, I, I work, you know. Well, who don't? I can tell right there, I just... I locked it up right there with that statement right there. I locked it up. But you just don't understand. You're just a preacher. You only work one day a week. I wish you'd follow me for a week. I wish you would follow me for a week. Christianity is prevalent. It's just not powerful. And what we need, not in the world, the only way that we can change the world is the church have a spiritual awakening. History belongs to the awakened. When we, when we begin to realize how powerful this Jesus is that lives on the inside of us. And just, just so that you'll know, and I know most of you know this because you've heard me preach it enough over the years, but God has never called us to fit into the culture. New Harvest Church was not called to be like every other church in, 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 in Quilston. Who wants to be a part of a cookie-cutter church? Every church should have their own vision. Every church ought to be doing what they can to reach the lost. We're on the same team. We just don't have the same avenue of getting there. Huh? So, so there's got to be this, this, this understanding that we're not called to fit into the culture. We're called to be an example to the culture of his greatness. See, the world can't see the kingdom of God, but they can see us. We are the representation. We are the visible representation of an invisible kingdom. So what they see about us determines what they think about him. Well, I'm going to preach in a minute. If they see some poor, beat down, barely getting along, some kind of weak, anemic saint, then that's what they're going to think God is like. 
It's not that we don't have problems. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have trials. It doesn't mean that we're not going to go through some difficult things. There are many people in this building. This year, 2020, has been a rough year for a lot of people in this building. We have lost loved ones. We have lost money. We have lost businesses. There's a lot of people that have gone through a lot of tough times this year. But you know what? They still got their walk. They still got their step. They still have their testimony. Because when the winds of adversity begin to blow, it didn't blow us away. It strengthened our resolve in him because we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to them that love him who are called according to his purpose. Tell somebody we need some history makers. Come on, just tell them we need them. We need them. So what God does is this is what he does. This is what he does. He touches people in every generation that becomes this hinge of history. He touches people. He puts their mark, he puts their, his mark on people. Every generation since the dawn of time, there's always been a remnant that's been touched by God. That became the hinge to every generation. That became the hinge of history that promoted the goodness of God into every generation. And, and while we know what's going on in our world, I, I kind of set it up front with all the silliness that's going on with the election. It, all, the, all, the, all the fraud and things that are coming out. We cannot be moved. We, we have to stand our ground. Just because, just because I'm in a battle don't mean I'm out of faith. So I stand my ground. Listen, I, know, I don't care how you believe with me, put a little feedback, but I believe the prophets. Trust in the prophets and you'll have success. I believe in the word of God. So at the end of the day, I don't put my faith in circumstances. I don't put my faith in people. My wife said that last week. If you put your faith in people, you are doomed to fail. My faith is in the hope of God, and God uses people who he has ordained, who he has signed, who he has put to the plow. So every generation has always had this remnant that became awakened to do what God wanted them to do. Thomas Carlyle, he's a famous historian, he said it this way. This will be on the screen. He said, the destinies of societies are shaped by great men and women who act boldly at key times. Whew. I tell you what the church needs right now. We need some boldness in the church. We need some devil stomping, devil casting out kind of boldness, not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ kind of boldness. For it is the power of God unto salvation. You ever met a, you ever met a private Christian? Silly, ain't it? We're going public with this thing. Well, it, you know, my, 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 my religion is private. It may be personal, but it's not private. Well, I just, I just keep it to myself. Well, you're part of the problem. You're part of the problem. Because God did not put all himself in you so that you can light it or keep it hid under a bushel. He put you so that you can be a city set on a hill so that when people are going through something, they see a light. They have a hope. They have a direction. They have something that they can link up to. And so, 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 so we got this thing going on because, you know, I, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to, trying to be nice here, but. People, people are scared to talk about the Lord because uh, of, of, of the flack they'll get. You know, I don't want to push my faith out there on people. They push their agenda on you. Well, I, I don't want to talk about 
the Lord on my job because, you know, they don't like it. They talk about what they want to talk about, and you shouldn't like it, but they don't care. Y'all can't find no help in this Holy Ghost prep or talk with They push in there. You say, well, it, we're not allowed to do it. Listen, I'll, I'll say that, okay? When, when we're not allowed to talk about God, then don't you be allowed to talk about your craziness either. Don't you be allowed to be bringing your craziness up in here. If we, listen, if you don't, listen, if I was a school teacher, and I know we got principals and teachers and educators and administrators all in, listen, if I was a principal, I'd say, listen, if you're going to bring your crazy worldly view stuff up in here and expect me to teach it to our children, I'm going put the spin back on it. I'm going to be the spin shop of the, of the school. And I'm going to say, this is what the world says, but let me tell you what God says. You're not a monkey swinging from a tree. You're created in the image of God. And see, but, but for so long, the church, the church has said, well, we're just going to take it. We're just going to take it. We're just going to take it. And next thing you know, you got a world that's corrupt because you have no influence. you got a world that's gone crazy because you have no influence. That's why they're pushing pedophilia. That's why they're trying to get it into our third graders because if they can start it there, you won't have a chance by the time they get to be teenagers. But there's a remnant. There's a body that's moving in the earth that says we refuse to settle and we are going to become the hinge of history. The hinge of history where everything changes. I'm going to preach in a minute. Everything changes in the hinge of history. Everything changes. Hmm. About to get bold. Not arrogant, bold. You can be bold and be humble at the same time, and that's what you need to be. Not bold and cocky. Come on, anybody ever had some cocky, cocky people in your life? About 30 seconds and I'm done. I got to go. Can't stand your cockiness. By the whole world, you're the immaculate conception. See, what God does is he uses his people to release movements. That's why the church has to be awakened. Movements don't happen until the church becomes awakened. God didn't, let me just give you a couple of examples. God didn't start the Methodist movement. He didn't start the Methodist church in the 1700s. He touched a couple brothers, John Wesley and Charles Wesley. He touched them with his fire. And then he threw in there a man by the name of George Whitfield. He touched them with his fire, and they had a passion for God. They had such a burning passion for God, so they started the Methodist movement, which now is called the Methodist Church. Now it's lost its way since then. Because when you can ordain homosexuals as bishops, you've missed the word. That's, and, and, and if, I don't know, and I'm not just picking on the Methodists, because i got tremendous Methodist friends that, that I'm in covenant with, but you know, the Methodist symbol's got the cross, and then there's a flame on it. The Methodist church was birthed in the power of God. The Methodist church was birthed in the, in, 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 in the ministry of the Holy Ghost, where signs and wonder was, a, was, was so, or so such, such an occurrence that it was almost like the norm. Not to see signs and wonders was the abnormal. That's what we got to get back to. God didn't start the Salvation Army. He touched a man by the name of William Booth. And he founded the Salvation Army. 
God don't start movements. He touches people. And they create movements. Noah built something. You know what he did? He created a movement for his family. I may not get everybody saved, but I'm going to get my family on board. I can't speak for everybody, but I can speak for my family. Everybody else can miss God and everybody else can live however you want to do. But I'm going to build me something that's going to get my family to safety. I'm going to build something that's going to create a legacy in my family that's going to leave a generational mark for the next generation to come and to ascribe to. There was a, um, I need to hurry. There was a, there was a uh, movie. Some of you remember this. Y'all remember the old Rocky movies? The rest of y'all going to need an awakening some of the greatest movies that ever came out, and that's just me. I know that ain't Bible, but I believe God was a fan. I believe he put it in the heart of those directors to create it. I'm just kidding, like losing you fast. But there was a, in the movie Rocky Three. there's a clip from Rocky Three when um, Rocky was about to face probably his greatest title fight of that particular time in his life. He was going up against a man by the name of Clubber Lang. We call him Mr. T. He was going up against this Clubber Lang, and there's a moment in that clip when he's talking with Mick, his trainer. I think it came out in 1982. Is that right? Some of you movie guys. 1982. One year before the great close from the high school class of 83 graduated. <laughs> and, and, and there's this moment in the movie, this line. It's only for like a minute and a half, but I want you to hear this line in the movie. Guys, if you'll help me in the back, just throw that up there for me. Just another fighter. No, he ain't just another fighter. This guy is a wrecking machine, and he's hungry. You ain't been hungry since you won that belt. Oh, what are you talking about? I've had ten title defenses. That was easy. What do you mean easy? It was handpicked. Setups? Yeah, they were setups. They was good fighters, but they wasn't killers like this guy. He'll knock you into tomorrow, Rock. the beating that you got from Apollo should have killed you, kid. Still, it was my job to keep you winning and to keep you healthy. You really don't think I got nothing left, do you? Well, Rock, let's, let's put it this way. Uh, three years ago, you were supernatural. Hard and you were nasty, and you had this cast iron jaw. But then the worst thing happened to you that could happen to any fighter. You got civilized. 
He's just another fighter. Right, listen, guys. Did you hear that? Let me give you the prophetic indi- uh, the, the, the prophetic interpretation of Rocky Three. Let's just pretend Mick is God. Rocky's the church. You don't think I got it in me? What do you think I've been doing for you? It was my job to keep you alive. It was my job to keep you safe. It was my job to keep you moving forward. That's what Mickey said. So you don't think there's nothing left in me? He said, what happened to you, Rock? It's the worst thing that could happen to any fighter. You get civilized. Let me put it to the church. The worst thing that can happen to any church is you become civilized in your faith. There was a time, come on, this is me. There was a time, Rock, three years ago, you were supernatural. Three years ago, Rocky, you were supernatural. You were mean. You were nasty. You had an iron jaw. You could take a punch and keep fighting back. But now you're soft. Now you're civilized. Now you're tamed. Now you're domesticated in your walk with God. Can I tell you, that's a prophecy to the church. God is saying, I'm going to put you back in the arena, but you can't go back in the arena being tamed. You can't go back into the arena being passive. You better have a fight in you. You better know that your enemy is coming after your children. You better know that the enemy is coming after your life and you better get in that ring and you better fight with blood, sweat, and tears. You better have a faith beyond this natural realm. Hey, push on somebody tell them we're the hinge. We're the hinge of history. Oh, Lord. That's what he was saying. That's what he was saying. And Rocky said, just give me another chance. And he did. Huh. It's amazing what movies prophesy. God is looking for raw, untamed faith. I'm tired of Brill Cream religion. A little dab will do you. You know, remember the old commercial, little Brill Cream, little dab will do you. That's all you need. I'm tired of that. I, I, I'm tired of saints being wimpy. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of seeing the church just, just bending over and like, well, we, we can't do nothing about it. You better, we're here on this planet to do something about it. We are the hinge to history. And whichever way we swing is going to determine what God does. We can't be domesticated. The worst thing that could ever happen to a believer that you become civilized in your faith. You become cultured, refined in your faith. You become elegant and sophisticated. That's what civilized means. You become debonair, charming, urban. We need some raw faith. We need, we need the kind of faith that will make you walk into the middle of a graveyard, Ezekiel, and says, I don't, know, I don't know how I got out here, but the Lord put me out here, and I'm just going to say, thus saith the Lord. I'm going to prophesy to these dry bones. We need the kind of faith that John the Baptist had that lost his head while preaching the good news. Well, I don't want no trouble. Listen, you're, you're anointed to stir up trouble. What about Stephen? Nobody ever, you know, I've heard this cliche all my life. 
well, the safest place to be is in the will of God. Eh, wrong. That is not the safest place to be. The safest place to be is outside the will of God. The most, the most, the most targeted place in your life is in the will of God. What about Stephen who preached one, one, one sermon and got stoned to death? That kind of faith. What, what, about, what, about, what, what about Paul? Paul, Paul, Paul who, who, you know, if, if we're going to have to apologize to Paul because we're going, if we keep saying, well, the safest place to be is in the will of God, then God's going to have to apologize to Paul. Shipwrecked five times, beaten, stoned, left for dead. I mean, it, it, the, the Second Corinthians goes all through his list. Days and night in peril, in the storm, dangers of countrymen, dangers of lions, dangers in the wilderness. And he just goes through this whole list. Wasn't safe to be in the will of God. But it sure beats being outside the will of God. What changes history is not safe people. It's radical people. It's people who have a fire and a passion. What saves a generation is people who have a fire for the things of God. Come on, Noah. If I have to preach for 120 years and nobody hears what I say, but at the end of the day, I got my sons on board. I got their wives on board. I got my children on board. At the end of the day, I've got my family on board, and God will start afresh with a brand-new generation where the fire of God has not been stamped out. God's looking for some passionate people. Let me close with this. Come on, Pastor Port. I won't close. I'm not done, but I'm going to close. Is this all right? I know I'm just kind of, this is kind of fresh, all right? So I'm just working it out, and we'll get, to the, we'll get to the better parts maybe next week. The goal of our faith is one thing, and that is to please God. That's the goal of our faith. Have you know that the goal of your faith is not a new car? I'm going to lose all my faith-filled people right here. The, the, the goal of your faith is not to buy a house. Well, if you just had faith, you no, that ain't why God gives us faith. God doesn't give us faith to get a new car. God doesn't give us faith to get a new house. God doesn't give us faith to get a wife or a husband. He gives us faith that we might please him. Hebrews 11, 6, for without faith it's impossible to please God. He doesn't give us faith to get things. He gives us faith to access a realm where the promises of God had already been secured, where the promises of God has already been released. And he gives people faith on this planet to access a supernatural realm and take whatever heaven has declared and manifest it in the earth. That's why he gives us faith. He gives us faith so that we might please him. It's not that you can't have a new car or a new house. I, be, I believe all those things come from just good stewardship. Because I can tell you plenty of people that's got nice houses and nice cars, and they don't, know, they don't love God no, no more than people that are lost. They just don't, they don't, they don't care about God. They got nice cars, and it has nothing to do. Well, I had to faith this in. Just good stewardship. So God gives us this faith. Romans 12, 3, God has dealt unto every man a measure of faith. So he gives us this faith because he's omniscient, means omniscience. God knows everything. You can't teach God anything. God's not learning. He's not trying to learn something. 
God's omniscient. He's all science. He's all knowing. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. He's full of potential. He's all power. Am I right? He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. There's never a day that God doesn't exist, and there's never a day in your past where God didn't exist. God was in your yesterday. He's in your tomorrow. Why at the same time he's in your tomorrow? He's there before you get there. He's omnipresent. There's never been a time in your life where God didn't exist before, present, and future. He's always been there. But God gives mankind that he gives to no other creature a measure of faith. He gives us a measure of faith because watch this. He is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything I don't. He's all-powerful. He cannot be depleted of any power. He has all power. I have limited power. He's everywhere at the same time. I can't be. I can only be here or I can be over there. I can't be at the same place at the same time in two different places. So he gives us this faith. I'm going to help somebody right here. He gives us this faith so that we can merge into a God that has all knowledge, all power, and he's present everywhere so that we can be the hinge between heaven and the earth so that we can fill the gap between what's going on in heaven and what's trying to take place on the earth. So he gives mankind this faith, this, this ability to believe him, this ability to stand because I'm limited, but he's not. He has all knowledge. I have limited knowledge. But I can access his knowledge by faith. He's all powerful. I'm limited in power. But my faith can access his power. Woo. So he gives us this ability to access his realm so that we can begin to manifest. Don't you think for a moment God don't love nations? Don't you think for a moment God doesn't love people? The Bible says nations can be born again in a day. God loves nations. Jesus wept for a city. God loves city. Jesus died for people. God loves people. So what God has to have on this side of heaven, he's got to have a people. I'm going to close. You can stand. You can stand. Come on, just stand with me. I'm going to close. I don't want to keep you past 12. I've already violated it. So he gives us this, this dimension. Can I call it that way? He gives us this realm, this measure. Maybe, maybe that's a better word. He gives us this measure of faith to call those things even though they're not as though they are. He gives us this ability to speak things and declare things. <laughs> I remember the first time Karen broke up with me. going to whole school now. It broke my heart. Somebody said, oh, Lord. Y'all feel for me right here. I don't feel no love right here. That, that hurt. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. I know this is going to really sound really crazy, but my mom trained me right. You bind it, and you call it back in. That wasn't over Karen. That was just life. Whatever you bind shall be bound. Whatever you lose, <laughs> some of y'all are way too spiritual for me. I can tell you that right now. So she broke up with me. 
I, I, the devil is alive. Back in, see, we didn't have phones back in those days. I couldn't text them. I wrote a love notes. Oh, yeah. Y'all didn't know I had it, did you? I started writing love notes. I said, baby, there ain't nobody born for me but you. I said, in fact, meet me after third period. Right there between the cafeteria and Mr. Rimrose's classroom. Meet me right there. I'm going to give you some art. <laughs> Mr. Rimrose was an art teacher. <laughs> she had no, she like, I am for real breaking up with you now. You lost your ever-living mind. You know what? I know, I, know, I know this is probably the poorest example I will ever give you. But there was something in me that said, no, that's mine. That's mine. I started binding boys. One of them sitting right back there, Arnold Moore, I bind him in the name of Jesus. I see her talking to a boy, I'd walk, I just like, in the name of Jesus. I curse them. I curse their lips. I curse their communication. My mama taught me this. My mama taught, she taught me how to pray. My mama taught me. Am I right? I mean, my, my grandkids can tell you. Vanessa can tell you. First thing you do is you bind the devil. That's the first thing you do. You bind it. So anyway, I'm, wait, oh, Lord, how, help me. But I was so convinced that she was mine, and I wasn't going to let it go. What would happen to the church if we got so convinced of God's promises that even when the bad news came, we ain't going to let it go? I'm not coming off my post. I, I'm not coming. Listen, if you got children... You, you better be standing your guard and standing your post every single day of the year that they're with you in your house. You better be putting a guard. You better be building something, Noah. You better be building an ark for the safety of your children because the whole world is wicked. The whole world has turned its back to God. But you can provide a place of safety. You can become the hinge of history to an entire generation. Come on, if you believe that, give God a praise. Come on, just give him a praise. Just give him a praise. Just give him praise. And I realize even in here today that there are people in here, multiple people in here, that you had to be the first person in your family to break generational curses. You were, the, you, you were the first person in your family. And there may be others in here that you got generational curses running through the bloodline. You can be the first person to break generational curses in your family. You can break it off of your family. And you can become the amen of God in the earth. You can become 
that hinge of history. Sometimes living for God looks ridiculous. I get it. No, why are you building the boat? It's going to rain. What's rain? It's never rained on earth up until that point. Well, I don't know. God says it's going to be like water that falls out of the sky. He calls it rain. What are you building? It's called a boat. It's called an ark. It's like 450 feet long, like 75 feet high and 45 feet wide. What is a boat? I don't know. It's supposed to, it's supposed to like rest on top of the water because the earth is going to be flooded. And God said, whoever gets in the boat will be saved. Can you imagine the argument? He's building a boat and he's like hundreds of miles from the nearest body of water. Fix that. They didn't have cranes. They didn't have low boys. How are you going to get the boat to water? I don't know. I guess the water is coming to me. I guess God is coming to me. I'm just going to build what he tells me to build. And I'm going to get my family on board. And I'm going to become the hinge of history. I'm going to become something that saves a generation for the next generation to look at. Come on, one more time. Will you just give God a praise? He's worthy. He's worthy. He is worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. All over this building, we're gonna we're gonna go. But just while you're right there, why don't you just bow your heads real quick? Just bow your heads. I just I, I think I'd be amiss if I didn't do this. I just want to make this prayer, and then the worship team's gonna sing, and then we're gonna go out. But maybe you're in this building, and you say, you know what? I I, I need I need to get it right. I gotta pull it together. I gotta get it right. I'm I'm tired. I'm tired of this life. I'm tired of this level of living. And I know i got to make a fresh commitment back to the God. I know I need to give God my life. Maybe you did a long time ago, but now life has overtaken you and you're in a backslidden condition and maybe you've left God and you're just trying to find your navigational way. You're just trying to find it and you're trying to get it back. I don't know everybody in this room. This is why I'm trying to give this altar call today. I'm not asking you to join this church. I'm not asking you to be a part of this ministry. I'm just asking you today if you'll give your life to Jesus. It's not going to be that hard. We're going to pray a one-minute prayer, and you can be saved today. You can have a fresh life. You can have a fresh journey with Jesus Christ. There are only two types of people in this room today, those that are born again and those that are lost, those that are on their way to heaven and those that are on their way to hell. There is no in-between. What are you building today? Are you building a life without God or are you building a life for God today? You're in this place today, and you maybe you just say, you know what, preacher, i got to get it right. If you'll just pray this prayer, just pray this prayer with me, I'm going to make it right today. I want God. I want God. I don't want to walk out of here not knowing that I don't have God in my life. I don't want to roll the dice. I don't want to gamble with my life. Life is too short. You're in this place today, and you say, i got to get it right. I'm just going to ask you right there where you are, if you'll just raise your hand when we can make this quick prayer. I'm not going to ask you to join this church. I'm just asking you to pray this prayer all over the building. Come on, slip your hand up right where you are. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. God bless you. I see it. I see your hands. I see your hands. I see your hands. I've seen about five or six hands that are going up, people. They're just saying, I, I just want to make this call. I want to make this call, and I want to get it right today. I'm today, today, I'm moving my life in a forward motion. I'm not going to live with regret. I'm not going to live in past. 
I'm living, I'm living with the future in mind. History belongs to those that have been awakened. In the name of Jesus, I see your hand. I see your hand, sir. Thank you. God bless you. I see it. I see it. You can put it down. I saw it. You can put it down. I saw it. I saw it. More importantly, God saw it. God saw it. In the name of Jesus. I want to do this because there was like, I don't know, I saw five or six. There might have been seven or eight. I don't know. This is how we're going to do it, if, if you would. You don't have to to be saved, but I'm just asking you to do it. Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. And I'm going to ask you today, it's going to take a lot of boldness to do this, and I know, but that's what we need. We need some boldness back in the house of God. You wouldn't have raised your hand if you didn't mean business. You raised it because you meant business. I'm going to ask you, if you'll just meet me down front, we're going to pray a prayer. That's all. We're going to pray it out. The whole church is going to pray with us, but we're going to pray it together. It's literally 30 or 40 seconds, and then the service is over. But will you have and give me the honor of just praying with you through this prayer of faith together and let the whole world know that you're making a commitment to live for Jesus Christ. If you're going to make that commitment today, if that's you that raise your hand while they begin to sing, will you just step out of the aisle and come on, and we're going to take 30 seconds and make this prayer in the name of Jesus. God bless you, sir. Come on. Come on. Come on. God bless you. Just stand right there. There you go. Just stand right there. There you go. In the name of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, come on, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys for being so honest. Thank you. Thank you. This isn't about me, it's about him. I don't have the ability to save you, but he does. And today, I promise you, from this day on, when you walk out of this building, your life, it's going to be set on a brand new course. You're going to move into a dimension that you never moved into, and God's going to begin to program your life for his glory. He's going to take away the things of your past, and you're going to begin a brand new start. I'm going to ask you to do this with me. It's, it's, I'm just going to ask you to repeat this prayer. The Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that the Lord raised Jesus Christ from the dead, you'll be saved. you got to confess it with your mouth and believe with your heart. It's not from your head, it's from your heart. So I'm going to make this prayer. The worship team, Pastor Porter, is going to pray it behind me. The whole church is going to make this prayer. Everybody's going to pray it, but I want you to pray it with me, okay? I want you to pray it out, and I want you to just release that out today, and you're going to ask God in your heart. So let's just bow our heads. Can you lift up your hands, just for one hand or whatever? I know Arnold's holding the baby. Lift up your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus. I come to you just like I am. I come to you just like I am. I'm surrendering my heart. I'm surrendering my heart. I'm surrendering my life. I'm surrendering my life. And I'm asking you today. I'm asking you today. To move inside of my heart. To move inside of my heart. And forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my past. And help me begin today a new start with you. And I thank you today that from this day forward, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to live for you all the days of my life. I make this commitment with you. And I thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.
Look at somebody across your aisle and tell them you are the hinge of history. You are. Whatever you build, that's what they'll come to. Whatever you build is what will secure salvation and deliverance and breakthrough. Next week, we're going to deal with the saints because we're going, we're going to chop away at the enemy's tactics because the church is rising in power. We're going to build in faith. We're going to build in boldness. And we're going to upset the enemy's plans and schemes because the church is alive. The church is alive. Amen. Father, I thank you today for your people. Thank you. Lord, we thank you for those that just gave their life, rededicated their life to Jesus Christ, who made an open public display of their faith. God, there's nothing more powerful than somebody being transformed by your power. Lord, we thank you today that you're working in hearts, you're working in lives. Lord, I thank you today for the people that are standing in this presence, in this place. God, that there's going to be a, a courage a Holy Ghost boldness to stand in the face of adversity, to stand in the winds of adversity and declare your good works and your good will until the whole world knows you, until your glory covers, till your glory moves, till your glory begins to define the reality of your power to a lost generation. God, we release the anointing to be awakened. 
awaken us. Let us become the hinge that moves history towards the things of God. Lord, bless your people. Bless the rest of their day. Bless their week. Make them the head and not the tail above and not beneath. And I thank you for it today. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. And everybody together said amen. Amen and amen. Love on somebody. Love on them good.